sharing on the subject of handling or dealing with our emotions. Our emotions, how to harness our emotions. We've seen that God has emotions and that He created us in His image and in His likeness so we have emotions. And yet if you don't understand some things about your emotions, then Satan can hijack your emotions and hold you hostage in and to negative emotions, creating negative actions, creating negative results in your life. And we've even seen how that James, the brother of Jesus, said that, that all sin is emotional. It has an emotion attached to it, and that's how Satan deceives us. And that's how he draws us away from God. We wouldn't sin if there wasn't pleasure, pleasure of the flesh, associated with sin. Because sin is not intelligent. Sin is not right. Sin isn't what we want to do as the children of God. And yet, why do we see people do, who claim to know God, born again, spirit-filled, do the things they do? Because of deception. And because of their own lust. When they're tempted, they're drawn away, James said, of their own lust. That word lust means desires, wants, longings, especially that which is forbidden. As a matter of fact, we've seen, and it is an awesome truth that you hear very little about. Romans 16, 18 and Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, says that the world has a God and their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. And what that's saying is the belly is figurative of the heart and the seat of the emotions. The seat of your emotions is in the center of your being, your belly. That's why you hear people say, you know, that just grieved me. And you feel grieving right in here when you're grieved. Or if somebody scares you or you're frightened or begin to worry and stress out, you'll feel pain in your center of your being, your belly. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? They don't care what God's Word says. They feel this way about something. And so it must be real and it must be true if they feel it. In other words, if I feel this, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. If I feel this, it doesn't matter what the preacher says. If I feel this, my feelings are my God. My desires are my God. If I want it, it's right. It doesn't matter what anybody or anything says. My God is my belly. Aren't you glad that your belly, your appetite, your desires, your wantings, and your longings of your flesh are no longer your God? Let me give you a quick revelation. We have an armor in Ephesians chapter 6 to do warfare with. And I've taught you about strongholds and how to pull strongholds down and how that there is a process to strongholds in our lives according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul went on in that chapter to say that we're in a warfare but our weapons are not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling of these strongholds down. Then he defines a stronghold and all strongholds start with thinking contrary to God's word. Then we exalt that thinking. It becomes a high thing. Then it becomes an imagination. Gets into your soul, your mind, your emotions, your feelings. Then it becomes a stronghold. Somebody said, what's a stronghold? Anything's got a stronghold on you, amen? You ever met somebody like that? They're bound, and it could be demonic, but most people are not bound by demons. They're bound by strongholds. Thinking that has gone unresolved and unchecked so long that it has affected their emotions. And their emotions now, their imagination, and they're bound by that thing. You can't even talk about it without them becoming emotional. So, so in these weapons that we have is the armor of God. And I want you to watch this. What is it 
that goes on first. It's called the girdle of? Very good. The girdle of truth. What does truth and the girdle go over? Your belly. Your belly. See, it's the truth and knowing the truth that's going to make you free, dear ones. And you, you can check this out. People who are bound in their emotions, people who are living out of their emotions, have believed a lie somewhere. They don't know the truth about something. They've believed a lie about something, and so Satan, through lies and deception, is able to manipulate their feelings, then manipulate their actions, then manipulate the fruit in their life. But see, you as a New Testament believer, your number one pursuit in the kingdom is truth. I want to know the truth. I need to know the truth. So I better continue in the word, and I'll be a disciple indeed, and I'll know the truth, and the truth will set me free. Free from what? Free from negative emotions. Free from actions that I don't want to do anyway. I want to do the right thing. Amen? And so do you. So we have the girdle of truth. Jesus is the truth. See, truth is our God, and it's a living thing. It's Jesus Christ. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And so now we are living a life in pursuit of the truth, and that's making us free. Free, free to do what? Free to serve. Free to love God. Free to love each other. Free to be productive, etc., etc., etc. Now, I've talked to you about your makeup and how you tick. And we all tick the same way. There's exceptions maybe and slight differences between all of us in our personalities and, and in our temperaments and things like that. But basically, God wired us all the same way. And here's how you work. First of all, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. To be carnally minded, Romans 8, 6, is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because thou trusteth in him. Basically, you and I are going to become a product of what we're thinking on and how we're thinking. That's why we better be thinking right. That's why we better get to the truth. That's why we better renew our minds. Because your thinking affects your emotions. Your emotions affects your actions. And your actions affect the fruit in your life, both good and bad. Now, there's exceptions to that. If you don't eat right, and, and if, you're, if you're starving, for instance, that can affect your emotions, uh, nutrition, or diet, or the lack thereof. There are chemical imbalances that take place in our lives. I've talked to you about that, even especially like with a woman going through the change of life. There is a, a chemical change in your body. Uh, but you don't have to use that as an excuse to be a Doberman pincher and devour all of us the rest of your life. Amen? You know the only difference between a Doberman pincher and a woman going through menopause is lipstick. <laughs> you don't have to, at 40, guys, buy into the thinking and the culture and the philosophy that we have to have a midlife crisis. That's all in our head. That's a lie we've bitten into. You don't have to be stupid for five years. And now instead of driving a pickup truck with a gun rack in the back. And acting like a real man. You, you start driving a Corvette convertible. Are you with me? 
So I'm being fair about this. We have to understand that our thinking, our mindset, our philosophy affects our emotional being primarily. And people can say what they want, but you act out of your emotions. And you can say what you want and blame everybody if you want to for the fruit in your life. But the Bible teaches that the issues of your life began in your heart and they came out of your heart. Because again, you better guard your heart or keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of your life. The issues of my life are coming out of my heart. They're not because of what family I was born in. They're not because of the color of my skin. They're not because of any blood in my veins. They're not because of where I was born and what part of the country I was born in. Whatever issue, good or bad, is in my life began in my heart. So I better guard my heart. And part of my heart is my thinking and emotions. So we're talking about harnessing them. How do we control them? It begins with your thinking. It begins with your thinking and setting your mind... On the things of the Lord. And we ended in the last session with Philippians chapter, chapter 4. And we talked about rejoicing always in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. We talked about praying and not worrying. But offering things to God with thanksgiving. Then we talked about what we think on. And Paul said, if you're going to have the peace of God. If you're going to have calm assurance and quietness ruling your heart and life. And I want that, Amen. I want my emotions to be in check. I don't want to live my life all over the ballpark emotionally. And especially, and I've taught you how not to make decisions out of emotions or you'll mess up. And so, how do I harness them? Well, I better start praising God. Praising God sets my mind on God so it begins to harness my thoughts. You can't praise God and think on the devil. You can't praise God and think on the problem. Then I better pray. I taught you that last session. I better pray. Cast my care upon the Lord for he cares uh, for me. I'm not going to worry about this. And see, a lot of people think that when you get in the ministry, things are easy and it's easy to keep your mind on the Lord because you're in the ministry. That's not true. Ask Terry. Ask people in the ministry. Just because you're in the ministry doesn't mean you're thinking on God. There's problems in the ministry. There's, there's things happening in the ministry. There's things coming against you. And you can have an emotional breakdown and be a full-time minister. Amen. As a matter of fact, a lot of people want to go into the ministry thinking that going into the ministry will be a refuge. Not realizing you entered a war zone, darling. Because <laughs> the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. So I better, I better praise God in everything so I can keep my thoughts harnessed because that will affect my emotions, my actions, and my fruit. Then I better pray about this. I better take it to God. I need you, God. I can't figure this out. But I'm not going to worry about it. I can choose to worry or pray. I can choose to fret or pray. So I have to choose every day. Gosh, I can't worry about it. Even good stuff can torment you. And so you give it to God. Then I better pursue God. How do I do that? With my thinking. Thinking on things that are true. Honest, just, lovely, those are the things I taught you. Now, let's look at Abraham's life who lived by faith. We are not governed by our emotions. We are not led by our five physical senses. We are Christians. <laughs> okay. I am a Christian. My belly is not my God. The six o'clock news is not final authority or my God. Politicians, while we need them, and thank God we got some good ones in here, 
are not my God. Washington's not my God. God, Jesus, is my God. And I'm going to obey Him no matter what I think or feel or you say or anybody else says. So I'm on the road now to harnessing my emotions if I get my mind truly on the Lord. Abraham understood the power of your mindset in faith. I'm living by faith. I'm walking by faith and not by sight. I'm walking by, I'm governed by, I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit and Bible-based principles in my life. And I'm walking by faith. I'm not walking by what I see. What I see many times violates what I believe. I'm not walking by what I hear. What I hear most of the time violates what I believe. I'm not walking by what my senses and feelings through touch or, or hearing or taste is ministering to me. It's very real, but I'm not governed by it. I'm governed by the truth. I'm governed by the Word of God because I'm a Christian. Amen? All right. Now, Abraham lived by faith, and he discovered something about walking by faith and a principle of living by faith that involves what I've been teaching. You know, I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, Abraham and the patriarchs and matriarchs did three things in their life of faith. Believing and trusting God for the promises that they never even received. And at large, many people in the body of Christ have gotten a hold of a third of what they've done... And they've tried to operate in a third of what I just read to you. And they wonder why it isn't working for them. And that's confession. And while confession is a part of faith. And confession is important. And I'm going to teach you toward the end. How to harness your emotions. How to, how to overcome lust. How to overcome manipulation. And wanting to manipulate. How to overcome an unhealthy lust for power. How to overcome all these pursuits that are of the flesh. I'm going to talk about that at the end. And one of the things I'm going to talk to you about is your confession. So I want you to see here though that there were three things that Abraham did and the other patriarchs. They number one were persuaded of the truth. Number two they embraced the truth. Then number three they confessed the truth. They confessed I'm a stranger. They confessed I'm looking for a country. They confessed my destiny's in front of me. A lot of people have heard something about confession and tried confession, but they're not persuaded of the truth. They heard somebody else that was persuaded of the truth and had embraced the truth, and they're just going to try to say some things and hope it works. And that's not how faith works. You have to be persuaded that God said what he said and meant what he said. And then number two, embrace it. You have to embrace it with all your heart. In other words, what you really believe you're ready to die for. You've embraced it. I'm not playing games. I am persuaded this is what God said. And I have embraced what God said. Now my confession has power and, and punch to it. Are you with me? All right, now watch this. They're persuaded, they embraced it, and they confessed it. Verse 14 says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return 
Had they been mindful, everybody say mindful. See, God says, leave Ur of the Chaldees, your destiny's in front of you. Leave your present and your past. I'm a God of the future. I'm a God of, of progression. I'm a God that has a destiny in front of you. So you gotta, you gotta let go of where you are, and you can't look back. I want you to go, not even knowing where you're going, but go. And it says, had they been mindful of that country from whence they were immigrants, they might have had opportunity to go back. In other words, if you let your mind go back and you start thinking about Ur of the Chaldees, oh, you're in a tent now and things aren't going well. Man, I had a nice house. Well, I can't believe I gave up a night. I remember that nice house. You let your mind go back to Ur of the Chaldees, Satan will tempt you, test you, and push you to go back to Ur of the Chaldees. Listen at the Amplified Bible, the Ladies' Bible. Remember, it's the Ladies' Bible because it has twice as many words in it as the King James Bible. Oh, come on. Harness your emotions. Verse 15 says, If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from whence they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. One of the worst things that could happen to some of you is go to a class reunion. More problems come out of visiting back a class reunion than you can imagine. Because people let their mind go back. They're married and got four kids now, but they start thinking about Elizabeth. They met Elizabeth. And Elizabeth be looking good. She'd been drinking milk or something and it did her body good. Come on. So they start thinking about how it was with Elizabeth in the dating game. Come on. And that triggers emotions. And if, if, if your lust conceives, it'll bring forth sin. And when sin is finished, it'll bring forth death. That's what James said. See, one of the reasons Sue and I have such a good marriage is we don't have an option. We don't have a plan B. We don't use the D word. We could have a knockdown drag out and divorce is not an option. We don't have a plan B. See, if divorce is an option and you let your mind go there, you will find constant opportunity to get it. But if it's not an option, Satan can't tempt you with it. He can't pressure you to get one. Murder's been an option. <laughs> but Sue overcame it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. <laughs> So you don't realize, listen to me, dear ones, wherever your mind goes is where you're going to eventually end up. Wherever your mind goes, your emotions are going to follow soon. And then your actions are going to follow. And then your life is going to, going to be the results thereof, good and bad. And so it's so simple in presentation and practicality, but in in practicality operating in it most of us let our minds and our thoughts run so renegade and unchecked 
it's very difficult for you to harness your thoughts. And if you can't harness your thoughts, dear ones, you'll never be able to harness your emotions. And if you can't harness your thoughts and you can't harness your emotions, you're deceiving yourself. Your actions are going to follow. Jesus said, you lust in your heart long enough, you will commit adultery. You hate in your heart long enough, you will kill. You covet long enough, you will steal. That's what Jesus said. Amen. It's how it works. And so, so a lot of people, they, they, don't want, they don't want deliverance and freedom. They want relief. Are you with me? They'll come to me for help. And they really do want help for the moment. What they really want is relief. They want God and me just to fix everything overnight. Just fix this mess I'm in. But see... It wouldn't matter if a lightning bolt from heaven came down and fixed you in one day. If you don't change your mind, if you don't set your mind, if you don't learn how to discipline your thoughts, your emotions are going to be out of whack again and actions following shortly thereafter. Now let me show you this right here in the Word as well. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And now we're going to get into the heavier stuff. It's pretty simple. Saying, harness your thoughts. Then you can harness your emotions. Because I promise you, you can choose to meditate on something long enough and it'll, it'll release lust in your body. You can't hear. You keep hearing somebody hates you. You'll believe that. It'll affect you inside and you'll start feeling like it's true. That's why you can't listen to gossip. If you look at something long enough and it gets in your imagination, it'll affect your emotions. Everybody understand what I'm saying without saying it? I'm getting in too much detail because I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to, to get me or you in trouble here. I'm trying to help you get free. I'm trying to help you stay free. Now watch what, watch what Paul taught. And, and we're going we're gonna to dive into some heavier stuff tonight. And so we're just going to plow through. If you get it, fine. If you don't, keep the tape. One day you'll grow up enough to listen to it again and really get blessed. Okay? Because some of you just, you're not going to get it, and that's okay. Because you don't even want to control your thoughts. Much less release this new life God's way. You'd rather me give you some psychobabble. You'd rather me give you some rules. You'd rather me lock you down than to tell you how to walk in this new life. And that's, that's too bad. Because the church is not a big psychology class. And while your thoughts... And your mind is important. I'm not teaching mind over matter. I'm teaching your mind matters. I'm not teaching Christian science. I'm teaching good Christian sense. And there's a difference. The power of the Christian life doesn't come from the mind. But it does come through the mind. The power of the Christian life comes from the cross and Christ. But it's released through a choice of your free will and you setting your mind on the things of God. Now watch this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now that's a rhetorical question. He's not saying if you have been risen with Christ like maybe you haven't been. No, if you're born again, you've been risen, amen? If you're a new creation, you've been risen with Jesus. If you've been saved, you're seated in heavenly places in Jesus, okay? So if that's true, and it is, then this is true. If you're saved is what he's saying. If you're a new creation, if you've been risen together with Christ, seek those things which are above. 
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, don't look at your Bible. Look up here real quick. If we didn't have verse 2, what it means to seek things above could be of private interpretation. And this group could say, well, I am seeking things that are above, and they're doing stupid stuff. And this person could say, well, I am seeking things that are above, and they're just plain weird. How many of you know it is a true statement? It's not true in reality if they really were heavenly-minded, but some people are so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. They're just weird. They're not spiritual. They're weird. They're kooky. Come on. I didn't call any names. We know they're not here tonight. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. People are just religious. They even think they have their mind on the Lord. and They don't have their mind on the Lord. They got their mind on the work of the Lord. or, Or on a rule. Or on religion. When I talk about putting my mind on God, I'm talking about God himself. I'm talking about a being that loves me. And I'm meditating day and night. He loves me. He's with me. He's for me. He saved me. Good stuff. All right. Verse 2 tells us how to seek things above. Verse 2. Set your affection. One translation. And the Greek says your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on, on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are what? Notice it doesn't say you're dying daily. One of the things that I upset preachers the most over. Because I think every preacher has taught the false doctrine of dying daily. It must be that every preacher in the planet has taught a false doctrine of dying daily. And that is the most abominable, that is the most hideous doctrine to lock you into religion that can be taught. And everybody who's ever taught it thought they were teaching the truth. And everybody who's ever taught it thought they were helping people go from an unholy life to a holy life. And the Bible doesn't teach we are to be dying. We, us, the real us, dying daily. Paul did say in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. But there are hundreds of translations on the market. Read any translation. Read the context. He's talking about facing physical death. Being nearly ate up by beast. Being nearly killed everywhere he went. Being stoned and left for dead. Being persecuted and put over a wall in a basket because people wanted to kill him and made a covenant. We ain't going to eat or drink till this man be dead. And what he was saying was, I face physical death daily. If there wasn't a resurrection, why am I going through all of this? The reason I can face physical death daily is I know there's a resurrection. And if you kill me, so what? I'm going home to be with the Lord and I'll come back and get my body. And you're going to burn in a devil's hell. That's a good attitude. That's all he was saying. And yet religion wants to teach dying daily because that's you trying to save yourself. That's you trying to do what God already done for you. See, the Bible says you're dead. I just read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, New Testament, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, we are all dead. Not dying daily, dead. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. I'm not dying daily. I'm alive unto Christ. Jesus didn't say die to self. He said deny self. He said if you want to be his disciple, you have to to deny self. Take up your cross and follow it. That's right, brother. I'm taking up my cross. I'm dying daily. (laughs) 
How many of you know Jesus ain't on the cross dying? Jesus died. Why are you still on the cross dying? You need to die, get buried, get raised anew in newness of life so you can overcome sin now. I, I just want to read one to you. Hold your place in Colossians. Go to Romans real quick. I'm doing, I'm doing better on my time. Romans chapter 6. Let's read it together. I just quoted to you three New Testament scriptures that say you're dead. You're dead, you're dead. Not dying, but dead. Look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his what? We weren't baptized into his dying. We were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him. We're what? You don't bury dying people unless they're your parents. <laughs> Some of you didn't catch that one. I mean, if we would just practically apply some of these crazy doctrines, then we'd be burying dying people. We don't bury dying people, again, unless they're relatives that we don't like. We, do wait, we wait, sometimes pray for, but we do wait for them to die. Isn't that right? Y'all have never buried anybody dying, have you? I wonder what book we've been reading. I'm not dying. I died. He said, I died with him. I was buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. See, I'm talking about how to walk in newness of life. I'm talking about how to walk and not be, be dominated by your feelings. The God of this world. Newness of life, verse 5 says, For if, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his, of his what? Not his dying, his what? In the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, knowing what? That our old man is crucified with him, that the, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is what? Not dying. Dead. Man, I don't know what it takes. Verse 8 says, now if we be, what does it say? Not dying. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Look at verse 11. Now reckon, or likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be to be what? Not dying. I sound defensive, don't I? It's because this infuriates most preachers. Because they live their whole ministry teaching people to die daily. And that's why church is full of sin. Dying doesn't release you from sin, but death does. Do you know I can, I can instantly set anybody free from anything? I can set you free from arguing. I can set you free from a, a pursuit of power, ungodly. I can set you free from manipulation. I can set you free from, from uh, lying. I can set any. If you're in adultery tonight, I can set you free instantly. You run down to this altar, let me knock you in the head with a hammer, and you'll be free. <laughs> it's over, dude. You're free. 
If you don't believe I'm telling the truth, go to the graveyard and see how much sin's being committed. I'm talking about by them that are dead, not them in the graveyard dying. You've never been to a funeral and the guy in the casket's laying there and a good-looking woman looks over and he goes, Woo-hoo, wow, that's good-looking stuff. If he was dying, he might still be having some problems with lust. But every woman that looks over that casket, half naked, or casket, coffin, I'm nervous. <laughs> there ain't never been a dead man in a casket yet lusted, did you know it? None of them cheat on their taxes. Ain't none of them cooking the books. Some of them are cooking, but none of them are cooking the books. That's another thing you never hear at a funeral, too, is this old boy went to hell. You'd think everybody goes to heaven if you go to funerals. Now, I know you can't at a funeral go, this old boy went to hell. That's not the right place. Are y'all getting anything out of this? <laughs> I had two ladies come into my office, got hyper-spiritual. And they said, Pastor... We have a revelation from a book we read about dying daily. And we just feel you're not as spiritual as you need to be. And, and you're always too happy. You're always too excited. You know, you, you've got to do some dying daily. I was shocked. Now, I'm not saying I was right, and I apologize if this sounds bad. It wasn't as bad as it sounds. I said, ladies, look, what you need to do is if you're going to die daily, you just need to go somewhere and bleed out <laughs> and die and come back alive unto Jesus and with this new life of Christ. Because what they were trying to convince me of is I got to walk around depressed and I got to walk around dying and just burdened with the work of the ministry, and I'm dying to self. Other religions literally beat themselves, dying daily. And we're in as much bondage as that particular group with our false doctrines of dying daily. We need to get a revelation of the cross. Here's how you overcome sin. Here's how you overcome thoughts, renegade thoughts, and then emotions that are unharnessed. You get a revelation of the cross first. It all starts with knowing this. I know this. I'm persuaded of this. I'm embracing this, and I'm going to confess this. I'm going to reckon myself not dying, but dead. I'm going to reckon myself free by the grace of God to whatever's drawing me, whatever's pulling me, whatever Satan is tempting me with. In the name of Jesus, you cannot tempt a dead man. I reckon myself dead to that blonde Cambodia refugee lookalike. Because if I get in my flesh, I'm going to resign the ministry and do a piece of stupid. Come on. Go back to Colossians. See, you think, you think just because you're born again spirit-filled, you can't be tempted. You can't be drawn away. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, do something with your thoughts. You better know that you're dead. Not dying daily, but you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then Christ is going to come back, and when he appears, we're going to appear with him, appear with him in glory. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. He says, mortify. Everybody say, mortify. Mortify, mortify therefore, your members 
which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, which means passions. He's talking about negative passions. A positive passion is a good thing. But you can have negative passions lead you astray. Amen? See, Satan wants to hijack your emotions and hold you hostage to negative passions. But listen, if you'll get a hold of who your father is and that you're born again and you've got this new life in you and learn how to release it. Learn how to walk in it now. God will fill up your emotions with positive passions. I'm, I'm a little ahead of myself, but I don't want to forget this. See, for years I went to church because I was supposed to. And that's better than not going at all. But God doesn't want to make you come to church. He wants you to want to. I used to pray because I had to. Now I pray because I want to. If you'd have told me 25 years ago you will preach 350 times a year, you'll be in church nearly every night of the week, you'll pray for hours every day, you will love God and just pursue God with everything within you, I'd have went, man, you've been, you've been smoking something. you crazy. See, I hadn't, I hadn't learned how to reckon myself dead yet and kill not me, not mortify me, but my members which are upon there. Fornication. See, I have to put to death fornication. Not me. I'm alive unto Jesus. Now I got to put to death fornication so it doesn't rule in my mortal body now. I have to put to death, kill, inordinate affects passions. Now, Paul wouldn't have even said it. Let me read it all. Evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Verse 7 says, In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. See, we used to walk in all that stuff because we lived in it. We don't live in that anymore. We live in Christ. In Him we live and move and have our very being. As some of the young poets have said, we're the offspring of God now. But see, when you first get started, you first get born again, and you don't know how to release this new life. Suddenly, your thoughts can get away from you, and, and Satan begin to tempt you with lust, desires, passions, feelings, and draw you away. But see, as you come to a revelation of who you are in Christ, that I'm not dying daily, I... What I was, bound by principalities and powers, what I was in Adam, I'm not anymore. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I died in him. I was buried in him. I'm seated in heavenly places. I have a new life. Now, by faith, I have to reckon myself dead because of grace. We're not talking about religion here. We're not talking about works. I reckon myself dead. I am dead to this by faith. And I now can kill that passion. I can rebuke it. I can speak to it. I can embrace the truth. I can be persuaded of the truth. And I can speak to that and say, uh-uh, that's not me. I'm not a fornicator no more. How about you? I'm not an adulterer. I'm a new creation. Can Satan tempt me with adultery? If I don't walk with God, he can. Why would Paul say, you better put this stuff to death if it wasn't possible for this stuff to still be in your life? 
And some of you love King James Bible. That's why you're real religious and you don't like it when I read other translations that unfold and unveil the truth. Because you like to not know what the words are, like evil concupiscence. That's right, preacher! we got to get rid of evil concupiscence! <laughs> One of your kids comes up to you after church, what is an evil concupiscence? I don't know, but we got to kill it! <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's evil desires. It's interrupted me while I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Go to Romans 12. You're familiar with it, but I'll show you something maybe you hadn't thought about. Romans chapter 12. All right, if I'm going to walk free from negative emotions that Satan uses to bring me into sin... You've never committed a sin that didn't have an emotion attached to it. You can't get into unforgiveness until you get hurt and offended. Why can't some of you forgive certain people? Because of your feelings? That's why. Let me just cut to the chase. I've talked to too many of you and I said, look, you've got to let this go and forgive these people. And you can feel what they did to you 10 years ago. You feel it. We start talking about it and you can still feel it. You relive it. It's become a stronghold. It's got to be pulled down. How's it pulled down? By grace through faith. How's that work? I better start with, okay, I am a new creation. I am identified with Christ. He is my life. I already am dead in Jesus and the work of the cross, but now alive in Jesus through faith. So I have to start to believe, first of all, I've got the power and the new life on the inside of me to whip this. I don't have to do what I'm doing or tempted to. To go do. Amen. And a lot of people don't even believe that. So first of all, i got to reckon myself dead. By faith, I thank you that you have already set me free from evil desires. Doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to have them. Or they come. It means I can overcome them by grace through faith. But I better set my mind on things above when I'm being tempted. Because when I start to set my mind on things above, that's going to open the door for this new life in my spirit, the center of my being, to flow to give me the power now to mortify that in my life. A lot of you have heard something about the confession message, and bless your hearts, don't get mad at me. I love you. But it's sad. All you ever confess is Cadillac come, Cadillac come. <laughs> Why don't you confess I'm dead to manipulating the preacher and I resist that temptation? Why don't you confess I'm dead, I'm dead to what I'm feeling when I look at that secretary in the office today and alive under my wife? Because if you think you're going to go through this life married and not wake up one day and look at your spouse and not feel something, if you think that's never going to happen, you're deceived. I used to kiss Sue and fireworks went off. There's times I kiss her and nothing happens. But great hope comes into my heart that the 4th of July is on its way. She will not be able to resist. 
Some of you, that's a bad thought. Not a pretty picture. I understand. But do you know how often I have to deal with somebody supposedly born again, spirit-filled, who has feelings for this person and doesn't have feelings for their wife? And somebody isn't paying attention to me. Because you can reckon yourself dead to those feelings. It's evil desires. Is it real? Yeah. Is it reliable? No. Is it an accurate reflection of reality? No. It's a deception of the devil. And your God is not your belly. Jesus is your God. He provided deliverance for you through the cross, but you're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to act like it. You're going to have to get your mind back where it's supposed to be on God, and then by faith reckon yourself. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Boy, I thank you, Jesus. I'm dead to manipulating these people. That's who I was and what I was in Adam. I'm dead to abuse of power. Satan can tempt me all he wants to take my authority and power and abuse it. But I stop when I'm tempted. I stop when I'm starting to act maybe in an abusive way with any power or any favor I have with you. And I get off by myself and I make my confession of faith. I am dead to that. And I reckon myself by faith dead to that. I will never manipulate these people by the grace of God. I'll never abuse my power by the grace of God. I'm dead to that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I'm dead to that. Are you with me? See, you'd rather have a psychology class on how to overcome sin. And it doesn't work. You'd rather me just tell you with willpower, fight it and you'll overcome. But you won't. You better get a hold of the cross. We better get serious about, about what we're here for right now and what's going on and that there is a new life that we better get renewed to and we better learn how to mortify, put to death. Listen at, listen at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 in the ladies' Bible. It says, so kill, deaden, deprive of power the evil desires lurking in your members. The evil desires lurking in your members. See, your body's not redeemed. And there are evil desires all around us lurking. And Satan will take them to tempt us to yield. Am I all right? Are you getting it? Are you at least listening to me? You don't just get this by sitting there and you won't get it by next week. But if you'll, if you'll praise God, if you'll pray and pursue God, get your mind on Him and on the cross and what He's done for you and how He loves you. And now reckon yourself dead to what just, you've got to start doing this. You can't just hear this and it work. You've got to do it. You've got to live it. I'm getting better and better at it. Man, I'm, I'm conquering some powerful stuff. I'm excited about it. There's a new life that's in me that already overcomes anything you throw at me or the devil throws at me. He says, he says, these things are, I like that, lurking in your members. Those animal impulses, those are Christians. Animal impulses is employed in sin. Sexual vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, all greed, covetousness. For that is idolatry, the, defying of, the deifying of self and other created things instead of God. I love the Amplified Bible. Kill, put to death. And whoever wrote that didn't use evil concupiscence. They laid it right out. And, and, and I can't tell you how many Christians over my lifetime 
have been tempted in like sexual impurity, tempted in covetousness, tempted in all those things he listed. And as soon as they were tempted, they felt bad, like, well, maybe I'm not saved. How could I be saved and be tempted like that? How could I be saved and have a thought like that? How can I be saved and want to go do that all of a sudden? Because there's a real devil and your body's not redeemed. And Satan will hijack your emotions if you don't know what I'm talking about. And he'll hold you hostage. Remember I talked about, I used to go to church, but now I want to if you'd have told me. I'd be in church every night of the week, preach over 350 times a year. No way. There's no way. See, what happens is, I got closer to God. I praised Him. I prayed and began to, to, to in everything, give thanks and start disciplining my mind and setting them on things above. And then I saw revelation and I continued to walk in that revelation of the cross. And before I knew it, listen, God began to change my desires and fill up my emotions with the things He wanted. Versus now the devil filling up my emotions with the things he wants. And now I don't go to church because I have to. I want to. I don't preach because I have to. I preach because I get to. Amen. I want to. I emotionally have changed, not by willpower and trying, and I just wish I could. No, no. Nope, nope. Walking with Jesus. Doing what I've taught you these four, these four weeks. And then now, when Satan tempts me, I haven't sinned when I'm tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points, such as we are, yet without sin. See, I'm not tempted, or I'm, I'm not sinning when I'm tempted. I'm not sinning when I have a bad thought. I'm not sinning when, when something hits me, and, and it's a bad desire or an evil desire. I'm tempted when I entertain it, and entertain it, and then it conceives, now it becomes sin. If I think on it long enough, it becomes sin. And when sin is finished, it destroys me. Just because I'm tempted to quit, doesn't mean I've sinned. But I better not entertain it. Or Satan will manipulate my feelings, and he'll cause me to quit and see nothing but the negative. But you know, I've been tempted to quit before, and then I just started getting my mind back on God, and I began to rejoice in the Lord. I began to pray and cast my care upon Him. And then I said, I reckon myself dead to quitting. God ain't a quitter, and I ain't a quitter in God. And before you know it, I'm excited. Now, where's the devil? I'm looking for him now. I've had bad thoughts in the pulpit. I came by him honest. I was looking at you. <laughs> just kidding I've told the story I don't want to tell it now because I want to close we're out of time here but I told you the story about a, a perverted thought that came into my mind in the pulpit while I was in a meeting years ago and it bothered me so bad I thought how could I have a bad thought like that how, how could I be called how could I be a preacher and have a bad thought like that and so I warred with it all night long kept telling myself I will not have that thought again I will not have that thought again I tried to fight it with willpower all I was thinking about was not having the thought, not having the thought, not having the thought. All I was doing was empowering the thought. Got up in the pulpit the next night. Boom! Satan, like a fiery dart with a nuclear bomb, threw that into my head again. Condemned me so bad. How can I be born again? How can God use me? How can I lay hands on the sick? And they recover, and yet I'm having a bad thought like this, a perverted thought. Nobody taught me that Satan can throw bad thoughts at you. Nobody taught me that a lot of the thoughts I have didn't come from me. 
And I didn't overcome that by saying no to it finally. I finally got it figured out in prayer and warring and condemnation and guilt. I learned during that time, I don't overcome sin by saying no, I won't. Because then my mind gets on it, my emotions get stirred up, and I wind up doing it. I overcome sin by saying yes to the cross, yes to Jesus Christ, and then I'm dead to that by faith. I can control my thoughts by grace through faith. I'm dead to those perverted thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. I mortify those members that are upon the earth. I reckon them dead by faith. Because I'm dead to them in Jesus. Amen. It's sad. I guarantee you 99% of everyone who claims to be a Christian has never heard what I just taught. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, you're familiar with it. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's verse 1. Notice he separated you from your body. He said, you present your body. He separated you from your body. You know, you and your body are not the same. You are in your body. And your body's going to die. Your body's going to return to the dust from which it came. But you will never die. Isn't that what Jesus said? You'll never die. Why? The real you's born again. The real you's the spirit. All death is for you is going to sleep and you come out of your body. And you go into the presence of the Lord. Remember when the Russians went into, into space before us? And the big headline in the paper was, coming out of Russia, that they've been to outer space now and they discovered they've been right all along. There is no God. See, you have to take God out of society to become a communist society. That's why many in America try to get God out of every public forum and everything they can because you can't go to socialism and communism to get rid of God. So eventually they're going to hate us and they're going to come against us if you people keep voting these people into power. But that's a sidetrack. How many of you know that those astronauts if they would have stepped out of that space suit, they'd have met God. They'd have found God. That space suit was not the real them. They were in the space suit and it gave them an opportunity to live in space. Your body is your space suit, your earth suit. It's your house, it's your temple. The real you's in it, but it ain't you. I may feel this because of my body, but that ain't me. I may feel unworthy in my flesh, but that ain't me. God's made Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I could preach all night long on this. God's made me worry through, worthy through the cross. He said you offer your body a living sacrifice. How you do that? Praise, worship, you're offering it a living sacrifice right now. You offered a living sacrifice in praise. You offered a living sacrifice every time you discipline your thoughts and say, no, we're not going there, we're going here. It's a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to this world. Don't look like them, don't talk like them, don't act like them. But be ye transformed through the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. See, a, a lot of people, again, they just want relief. They don't want deliverance. They want relief. They don't want a new life. Got to hit you, dear ones, eventually. There's no shortcuts in this thing. Just coming to church ain't going to cut it. Just reading your Bible every now and then ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to sell out, and Jesus has to become Lord. 
Amen.